Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pr- pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. weather you're you're in LA right yeah just uh just got back from LA I mean I just got back to LA I was uh I was in Hawaii for the past month oh wow which is pretty nice what are you doing you, you, are, are you playing you filming what are you doing no I'm just trying to get through this quarantine trying to get through this uh pandemic no just hanging out I guess yeah trying yep. to find a way yep trying to trying to get back to playing shows one day Oh, that's true, dude. So, uh, have you been focusing more on your music right now as opposed to anything else? Yeah, mostly music, yeah. So, what have you been, because, again, like, you just came out with uh, uh, your new stuff, your new Spanish stuff. You've always mixed it up a little bit, because you've been playing since you were a little kid, right? Because yeah. none of your stuff's the same. It's, like, you're not, like, a, uh, you know, like a genre-esque uh, singer-songwriter. You're kind of, like, all over the place, inspired by a bunch of different uh, genres. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, that's like every single one of my records is like totally different. It's just like what I'm what I'm into listening to right now. That's what I want to write, and then it's it's yeah, it's very all over the place. So, who are your some of your biggest inspirations? I'm a big rock and roll guy. I got Guns T-shirt right behind me here. But who who are some of like your biggest inspirations when it came to music growing up? Uh, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, um, Elvis, uh, the Stray Cats. Jeff Lynne, Yellow. I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say like who like my biggest because I, I I have such a, a vast like knowledge and appreciation for like pop music, right? Like everything. Um, but I think like my the gods are you know Brian Wilson, right? The Beatles, Queen. There you go. So how how much of because again music actor. How, how much of that, you know, goes hand in hand? Or was it music first, then, of course, as a child actor growing up into it, uh, did they go hand in hand, or were they two separate things at first? Well, I, I started acting first when I, like, when I was a kid. You know, yeah. I was, like, five years old when I started acting. And then um, when I got 
when I was around like 11, 12 years old. I was I was always into music because I was a huge fan of music. I like started trying to play drums when I was little and got a drum set and everything. And was always like into you know wanting to make music because I loved music so much. But uh, I picked up guitar at around like 12. Yeah. And that's when it was like, oh wait, I could figure, I could like learn this and then like write my own songs, put bands together, and do all that. So that's where I that's when it really became like full focus obsession yeah and then obviously kind of culminating that uh, being a child actor getting all these really cool roles growing up whether it was like seinfeld um uh jerry mcguire with uh, tom cruise uh and by the way getting to tell tom cruise to f off in a movie that that's that's pretty cool dude not a lot of, yeah. not a lot of kids can say that yeah that was pretty cool i i, I was uh <laughs> i was reading the story of how your mom was kind of telling everybody to go watch the movie because you know her, her little boy was going to be in a movie with tom cruise and and that was that was your big line and uh yep. and she kind of regretted it huh yeah i just like telling everyone at church like oh my mom, go see my son in the movie I'm like oh no mom don't tell your church friends to go see this movie. That's hilarious. And and the other thing I found very fascinating was, because what it was like a three-day period of you guys writing Found a Way and pitching it to Dan Snyder, and it, it, it culminating in him kind of showing everybody, like, all right, we got to get this past Nickelodeon, but this is going to be our theme song for Drake and Josh. That's exactly right, yeah. We spent a weekend, uh, really just Saturday, writing it, and then I played it for him on Monday. And that was just like became found away. Unbelievable! Like, what was your plan going into that? Like, you you guys are trying to write a theme song for a TV show, but at the same time trying to make it your own. Like, did you have like a specific style that you wanted it to be going in? Was it tough creating I mean, the song? When we first went in, when we first went in, we know we were like, whatever happened to predictability? Yeah, right. Eating in TV, and then we were like, oh well, or like a days go by. And then we, you know, we're thinking like, wake up in the morning when you love yourself. Right. Of all these different amazing theme songs throughout the years. And we're just like, man, how are we going to compete with these? Like, so we were trying and trying and then nothing was coming. And then finally I just said, you know, let's not waste the day um, uh, doing this. Let's actually, um, uh, let's just write a song. Like, forget trying to write a theme song. Let's just write a song. And so the, um, the song we started to write was just like these kind of little cool, like Elvis Costello, like kind of rock, like. Yeah. Kind of like a Cars, you know? Thing. Right, right, right. And uh, we started writing in the melody and everything. And I was like, wait, this is actually kind of cool. Let's make this like, if it was about friends or brothers or like, like let's not make this a love song. Let's make right. this like, hey, I'm picking you up when you're down. Like, I'll always be there for you. Like, I'm your bro. I'm your da da da. Let's so, like go with the show. And then we just like did it, and I was like, dude, I think we have a theme song here. And uh, so we like got to the pre-chorus and the chorus, and like wrote it all, and did like a little one-minute version, you know, like what you basically see on TV. Oh yeah. That that short version, and uh, took that into Dan, and and he he was like, dude, I don't want to listen to this because what if I don't like it? And uh, what am I supposed to do? Tap my foot, snap my finger? Like, let me listen to this, and then I'll call you about it. And I'm like, no, 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 just listen to it now. I'm really excited for you to hear it. And if you don't like it, just tell me you don't like it. I'll, I'll use the song for something else. Like, I don't right. care. And he heard it, and he's like, oh, my God, that's our theme song. That's incredible. And was the premise of the show ever to be, like like you said, like it, it's not going to be a love story song, but it's going to be about two best friends, two brothers. Like, what was your guys' plan going into that? Because I know you guys were talking about that before it was even on the table, you and Josh, for creating your own show together. Yeah, I mean, we always talked about that. Um, 
you know, when we were younger, when we were on the Amanda show, we'd be like, oh, man, when, you know, when we get our own show, it should be about this, and we should do this and that, you know. Right. But that was just messing around. But, um, but yeah, no, once we, because we'd already shot the pilot, so we knew what the show was about. <clears throat> we just hadn't had the, uh, we were using, a, like, a Letty Kravitz, uh, once you dig in, you're going to have yourself a good time for the theme song. Oh, interesting. And I was like, yeah, but if I was, like, in the other room and I heard that, I'd be like, what, Letty Kravitz? video music video or like a commercial for something like it's not gonna like tell me drake and josh is on you know right and so i uh i told dan i was like yeah well, i i think that you know having a an original theme song is gonna be a lot better because now kids are gonna be like oh drake and josh is on they like they hear it from the other room or like they hear you know it's got to stand on its own and um so we'd already known what the the story was so we were able to kind of tailor the lyrics around it being much more like uh too unlikely you know, people coming together and not necessarily being about like, oh, I love you, you love me. It's more of like, hey, I've got your back, you got my back. Like, I'm always going to be there for you, kind of thing. All right, and do you, that's your song, right? That's licensed to you and not Nickelodeon. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Do you play that at some of your shows? Everyone. That that's got to be like your hit song then. People people must go nuts every time well, they hear funny. it. It's funny. I I I play, I play shows and I, I say that all the time. I'm like, you know. I may have never had a number one, may have never had a top ten, but there is not one place in the world that I can go and play the song and not have every single person in the audience sing along to it. Right. I'm like, so technically, this is a hit. That's unbelievable, dude. And uh, again, I think we have like 10 minutes here, but I, I have one more question for you. You know, like it being the hit show, you guys having awesome chemistry together, all the bits you did in the show, uh, whether you guys up in the treehouse, which I read was one of your favorites. Did you guys ever have any bits that you worked on and wrote on that uh, didn't make it to air? Or did you guys have more creative control uh, with Dan more than anything else for everything that you did? Um... I mean, if it was funny, it made the air. Yeah. And it's not so much like having like creative control. It's being, it's just being able to, because Dan's very precise about like what's on the page, you know, not like ad-libbing and doing this and doing that, but sometimes we would, you know, and like they would keep things and then, you know, we would try be like, okay, well, let's do this one like this and then let's do one where we're just, you know, go crazy or something. Um, but I can't think of any specific ones that didn't make the air, um, because usually if it was funny and it just happened, then that was the one that we were, you know, made 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 it to the air. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, we weren't so much as like in the creative process in the writers' room or anything like that. It was more so of like once we get it on its feet and it's like in our mouths and we're saying doing our moves and doing our blocking and everything like that. That's when it would become like our time to uh you know make it our own and add and take out whatever you know what i mean right so how was it working for dan because the guy's work ethic i think is insane like he he's doing i don't know how many shows he does on nickelodeon at, at, at this point but when he was working with you guys uh, it was the amanda show and then that was his next show drake and josh uh, how, how, again, like, you guys had a ton of creative freedom uh, when it came to writing most of those stuff, most of those bits, but how is it working for Dan, you know, like, him being a perfectionist as a, as a director and producer? Well, he's an absolute perfectionist, but so am I. So I, I, I totally understand. Um, I understand it. And I think that, you know, I, 
I don't know. A lot of people have a lot of complaints working for Dan just because he is such a perfectionist. He does 50 takes of something. He does it till it's right. But I've always appreciated that because I've always, I, 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 I'm the same way in the, my music with everything. I want it to be perfect. Like I, you know, obviously you're never going to get it perfect, but I, I, I want it to be the best that I can possibly get it to be, you know? And uh, if it takes a little longer, it's a little harder, like it's worth it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's an absolute perfectionist. He's a, he's a genius. He's, you know, he's really incredible. And he's a really sweet guy too. I mean, he's like, he's always been there for me. He's a total bro. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just, all, I, I, I would work with him tomorrow. You know what I mean? Right. I've always, throughout the years, I've always been like, hey, Dan, let's do something here. Let's do this over here. Just because like, like going to work for Dan would be like just like going home, you know. Like when you're working on other stuff with other people, you're like, oh man, now I gotta like get used to how they want to work. How they and like working with Dan, I'm like, oh dude, I've done two shows with you. I've done a couple movies with you. I've like spent my entire adolescence with you. Like, I'd just I'd be like going home. Be like, please put me on a show with you so I just like can just coast. You know? Wow. So so starting out, and this will be my last question, but starting out, were there any difficult growing pains when working with him? You know, because again, like working uh, cameos on Seinfeld and working with Tom Cruise in a film as well, like how did that compare with him? Um, well, it's it's really just different because yeah. on on those other shows, like I was really like you know, on anything I guessed it on or anything like that, like I've seen more so like movies because then you're with the directors for a while and you're working with them for a long time. But when you just do a guest spot on a TV show, I mean, you're with them for a week, four days or three days. You come in, you do your two scenes and then you're like, peace out, see you later, you know, just get there and do what you need to do. Um, but uh, but no, I, I, I think that it was, it was a lot of fun working with Dan because you could be, you know, crazy and wild and, 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 and over the top and and you know where you know you could you could be like hey Dan can I try it this way can I do it this way can I do it that way and where everyone else would complain about it um, being uh, like oh like let's go home or like we've already done yeah. 10 takes like move on like oh it's so annoying to work for him you know for me I was like sweet like let's get as let's get as much as we can in the tank in the in the can so that when you go to edit like you have all these great things to play with you know and get the best product so i've always you know loved working with them yeah and then of course the tom cruise it helps that you get to uh tell him to f off in the movie yeah that was really good he was amazing he's one of the coolest actors i've ever worked with i mean he's the kind of actor that like knows everybody by their first name he says good morning he's just like he's so approachable he's so collaborative he was it was really cool so what do you think of uh, everything that's going on with him right now? The stuff that came out when it came to uh, him screaming at his cast and everything. Oh, oh, oh. Dude, rightfully so. Like, yeah. do, do what you got to do on set. What are, I want to get shut down, you know? That, that's what I thought, too. Like, yeah, you know, like, be stupid. take it like men, you know? Yeah. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself, the best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Jane Manor, how's it going, man? 
Doing very, very well. Good to see you. Jack, right? That's right, man. Great. Very good to see you. Are you are you back home in Jersey right now? I am back home in Jersey right now. I have a house in, uh, I'm from New Jersey too, northern New Jersey, up by uh, Morristown. We have a house in Avalon, which I know is like 35, 40 minutes, right? Yeah, not, not too far away. My dad uh, is originally from Patterson. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I was actually born in Patterson. No way. Oh, very, very cool. There's very our cool. Cool. I got a yeah. question for you then. Shoot, shoot. New Jerseyans, what do we call a pork roll in Jersey? Uh, now, I, down in South Jersey, where I'm from, it's usually just traditionally called pork roll, but my dad's from up north, and so he calls it Taylor Ham. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, he calls it Taylor Ham, but I dispute that because Taylor wow. Ham is the brand which makes pork roll. Correct. Right now, Dad, I swear to God, he's he's already yelling at me from the other room. It's a pork roll in 50 states in New Jersey. It is a Taylor Ham. There's not been a single person that I know who has been able to tell me what pork roll is who isn't from New Jersey. I or I ordered a, a Taylor Ham egg and cheese here. I'm in Phoenix right now, and they okay. like, "What the hell are you talking about, man?" I'm Do like, they know about pork roll? They, they think it's a pork roll, yeah. Dude, they better. They gotta. They gotta. Fig, they gotta get that out of Jersey because it's something special. It sounds disgusting. It sounds it's, weird. It's the one thing we have going for us, man. I seriously, it's like our one delicacy is pork roll. Well, uh, I know we have like 18 seconds and counting here. I just wanted to <laughs> take the time, man. Uh, again, I agree with your dad, Taylor Hamek and Jesus. So, experience, man. Oh, I see they said it for a second, but hey, oh, great. Then I got one more question for you then. Perfect. Shoot, then. Uh, work in progress, your band. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big uh, music guy my, myself. Wonderful. Heavily Wonderful. influenced by rock music. Who are some great. of the bands that influenced the band for you guys? Oh, uh, there's such a wide. Uh, so, of course, one of my favorites is Led Zeppelin, uh, but we also like to go down some weird, like, techno roots. I love Muse. I've been on a Muse kick recently. Um, uh, I look, I love Creedence Clearwater Revival, but there's a lot of new stuff too that we like. Uh, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, they're great. Uh, Paramore, Paramore's a big oh, influence yeah. for us. Yeah, so a lot yeah. of great stuff. A lot I, of great. I, I dressed up as Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day for Halloween like four Very years cool. in a row. Very cool. I, Billy so great. I dyed my hair blue and everything. Amazing. It, it, That's great. I see we're about to end, so thank you so much. Thank you, man. Uh, until you were 30 years old. You grew up with dyslexia, and you said that you were reading basically on a third grade level at 30 years old before you decided to take reading seriously. Why, you know, why the sudden urge to improve your reading skills? I grew up with ADD and dyslexia at a time when no one knew what the hell ADD or dyslexia was. They just thought we were stupid. Like, I was (laughs) reading at a third grade level at the age of 30. Like, uh... At 31, though, I made a decision I was going to learn how to read. And anything I make a decision about, it happens. Right. And it took a really long time because I didn't know how to work around the ADD or dyslexia. That I got a little bit better, a little bit better over the next decade or so. And then when I 
when I went to and lived in LA for 10 years um, in my late 40s and early 50s, that's where I came across the Culver Learning Institute. And they they taught kids and adults with learning disabilities. And I hooked up with this 85-year-old grand, uh, mother, she's a grandmother, obviously, great-grandmother, but she became my teacher. And it was just, it was amazing how the things that she taught me, like how I could apply them almost immediately. And she said I took home more homework than anyone ever. I'd meet her every Monday and Thursday. Within six months, I had a different handle on it. Am I a great reader like you? No. But can I read pretty good now? Yeah, pretty good. And I'm pretty proud of that. Um, but it was all about just putting the work in. And, and this is what I know, right? The repetitions of affirmations leads to belief. And once that belief becomes a deep conviction, things begin to happen. Right, right, right. Now, I first saw that quote on Brainy Quote. Once in a while, I'll go on there just to check stuff out. And I read that, and I was like, wow, that's powerful. And I'm not going to tell you who said it yet, because I know you don't know. But I'll tell you in a minute. Let's break that down. The repetitions of affirmations. That can be really good or really bad. Right. Even the slightest falling into that hole. We second-guess each other, ourselves, all the time. You know, it's human nature to start to think, oh, man, what if, what if this happens or what if that happens? But, right, you know, there's, there's times in my life where I know I'm going to do something that's really powerful. But it's kind of like surfing. Like, when the waves are perfect... It's either thundering and lightning <laughs> or there's sharks out there. It's never just a beautiful day. The waves are amazing. And you don't have to think about any of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to like something that's a big event, like for me, the biggest event I could give you would be when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, it took a long time for them to induct me because I was with WCW, and they finally had to induct me because they were building this WWE network. And they're having all of our stuff that was so amazing up there, the Monday Night Wars, something you didn't get to really watch. You knew who was the Hall of Famers and who weren't. <laughs> so... I'm always that kind of person who doesn't go, it's got to happen now. It'll happen when it happens. I'm just right. going to keep working towards it. And um, when I got the call that I was going in the Hall of Fame, it was a really big deal. And Hunter, Hunter himself called me because he was there when I decided to be a professional wrestler at 35 and a half years old. And the only reason I made that move, because I was in wrestling for three and a half years. Well, I tried to wrestle when I was your age. So um, I tried to wrestle when I was 23, 1979. It didn't work. You know, I, I had three matches, hurt my knee. Same knee, I got hit by a car when I was a kid. Well, I walked right out in front of the car, hit my left knee, my face bounced off the hood. I flew 42 feet from the point of impact. That changed my life. Because then I couldn't play football anymore. 
and I was devastated. And um, that also taught me a huge lesson because I sucked at basketball, and that's really the only game that they would let me play. They would let me play baseball too, but I sucked there too. But you kind of have to have some sort of, you have to have some guidance or have a lot of natural ability. There are someone teaching you, and I just, I didn't have it. I didn't have a dad around, I didn't have anybody. So I picked basketball because I could do it all myself. And I went from being the worst person out there to picking the teams to one of the top guys in the county. And I did it through work ethic putting the work in. And that summer, after I hit by that car, I played basketball, my eighth grade. I didn't make it in seventh grade. I played in eighth. I sucked. I, I sat on the bench, which I'd never done before. And I realized I got to play all the time. And I played five, six, seven, eight hours a day all through that summer. And it changed my life. And it, it taught me that work ethic equals results. As a young man, I just picked up on that. And everything I would do after that, except for schoolwork, because I couldn't do it, because I had ADD and dyslexia. Again, I didn't know. So I worked on the things I could excel on and work towards. So back to wrestling, I tried 23, didn't work out for me. I came back in at 31 and got a job being a manager and color commentator just because of my over-the-top flamboyant character that I created, and I could talk. Bottom line is now, four years later, I'm in WCW, and they won't let me manage anymore, so I start wrestling. And again, everyone thinks I'm crazy. I'm too old. It's not going to happen I never believe what anyone says. You know, you can't do this. This will never happen. I know the repetitions of affirmations leads to belief. And if I really believe it, and I say that enough, it will happen. But with work ethic and keep believing in myself, because there's only one person that you have to believe in. <laughs> it's you. It's the only one who has to believe in you. Is you. So bottom line is... Uh, I start this, you know, this wrestling thing. At 40 years old, my career takes off. 41, 32, on top of the friggin' world. Headlining one pay-per-view after another. And then I blow my back out. And that's where I'm told by three different spine specialists that my career is over. I just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal. What the hell are you talking about? Bottom line is I, uh, the guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga, started doing yoga. I was blown away by how much it helped me. Well, I listened to the podcast that you did with Rogan a few years back, and you know you were talking about uh, DDPY, Diamond Dallas Page Yoga, and some of the biggest success stories to come out of DDP Yoga, and how it's kind of helped thousands of people around the globe. I kind of wanted to get your take on what was one of the bigger success stories that has come out of your practice, because a lot of people have a lot of stories, but what's the biggest story that you take away uh, since starting DDP Yoga? Biggest success story from DDPY, bro, that's a disabled veteran, Arthur Borman. You want to see the real story? Go on um, Amazon Prime, pull up Relentless, and watch that documentary. And I'll tell you everything about my business, from me blowing my back out 
to where we are today and just changing the world. So after you see it, you can't leave a review on Amazon Prime. You got to go back over to regular Amazon, like we buy shit, and then request um, Diamond Dallas Page and Relentless. Then you can leave a review. I read them every day, Jack. So I want to hear what you have to say. So that's your answer to that question, because I just gave you an hour and two minute answer that you'll see, and you're and you're really going to be inspired. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on, was the fact that you started your wrestling career at 35 years of age. You were told that you were never going to make it multiple times throughout your journey. What I want to know is, you know, what was that driving force for you to say, you know, despite what anybody else thinks, F it, I'm going to do it, and then you did it? Jack, you want to know a lot of shit here. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Now, that's a pretty good question, Jack. Um, You have to understand, I don't listen to other people's opinions. I actually, I listen, but I do what I think is the best thing. Because nine times out of ten, when you're talking about something, especially if you're a young man, let's just use me as an example. And I told people I was going to run nightclubs when I was 20 years old. They were like, yeah, right, sure you are. And then I did. When I finally decided to get out of the business and go into professional wrestling, um, and when I told them I was going to get into professional wrestling at 31 I thought I was too old to be a wrestler so I I came in as a manager you have to understand that sometimes ignorance is bliss and if I knew how hard that was if I knew that I don't know if I would have done it but I didn't know that so you know there's good and bad to being ignorant (laughs) um The bottom line is I did get in, and because back then I looked and dressed like that guy (laughs) as a manager, and they told me, I said, when they wouldn't let me manage anymore, you know, like, D, it's not your fault. You know, the hair, the clothes, the bling, the diamond dolls, the, you know, the rap. (laughs) It's like no one's paying attention to the wrestler that you're managing. So bottom line is, I was told I was too over the top for professional wrestling as a manager. So I had seven months left on my contract. And since I was a kid, I I always wanted to wrestle. I didn't want to be a manager. And I went down to power plant and I started learning how to wrestle. And when I first started, everybody laughed at me. Now, I could have taken that as real disheartening. And I could have let it destroy my confidence but I didn't but I gotta be honest it was hard it was really hard I can't tell you like where we where they would train it was called the power plant it's before WWE's performance center we trained in a warehouse that in the winter was fucking freezing and that's when I started I can't tell you how many times in the beginning, especially that first couple of months, my body would hit that map, and I would say to myself, man, 
This fake stuff hurts like hell. <laughs> like, bro, I, my body felt every square inch of that, of, that, of that mat when I hit it. Starting at 35 was the hardest thing for me physically because of the punishment it was about to put on my body. The positive side was starting at 35 mentally. I wasn't going to do the stupid shit I would have done at 20 or 22 or 25 or 27. I was just going to be smarter because I was older. I was more mature. I iced my body. No one did that. For five years, I was the only one in professional wrestling that iced his knees and his back. Everybody laughed at me. In 1996, I had turned 40, and by the time I was three quarters through that year, I was becoming one of the hottest properties in professional wrestling. There's another documentary WWE did called Positivity Living that kind of does a decent job of telling that story. But again, I was the guy, I was the anomaly. I was the guy who wasn't supposed to happen, but I did. And 96, I was 40, 97, my career blew through the roof. Um, I uh, headlined so many pay-per-views. Um, I was the me and Randy Savage had the feud of the year in 1997. Um, it was unprecedented; it never been done before. Anything like this. I was working 270 days a year in the ring, along with doing Hollywood Squares and uh, The Tonight Show and Kilbourne Show and all these, these shows that created awareness, built the brand bigger than The Wrestler, um, kind of like what The Rock did on a much smaller level, um, what John Cena does today or Dave Bautista. Um, the bottom line is, is that... Uh, I would be on fire for those next three years. And then I ruptured my L4 and L5. You could say I broke my back. I was told by three, three spine specialists that my career was over. Um, it knocked the shit out of me. I just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal. I finally got paid. Now they're saying it's over? A lot of emotional gravity pulled me down. And you'll see that in uh, Relentless. But I don't stay down. I come back up. And that's the key. Everybody gets depressed, including The Rock, including Obama, including Trump. I'm sure he's really depressed right now. <laughs> and pissed off at the same time. Um, everybody gets depressed. They don't stay there, though. The people who are really successful, they bounce and come back up. Because you always got to be focused on what's the next thing. So what looked like the worst thing that ever happened to me the guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga the first 42 years of my life. Well, now, I'm 42 and at three quarters, and if I can't get back in that ring, that contract's gonna go away. I got like six months to get back in that ring. Bottom line is, I started doing yoga. It really helped me. It didn't give me everything, but it really helped me. Then I threw in, old school calisthenics, rehabilitation techniques, and something I call dynamic resistance. In less than three months, I was back in the ring. At 42, those doctors said my career was over. At 43, I was heavyweight champ of the world. Right. And 
I would get that honor on three different occasions. Bottom line is, is that everything that has ever looked like the worst thing to ever happen to me, Jack, has turned out to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it's all how to do it, how to reboot your brain is all in this book. Positively Unstoppable, The Art of Owning It. It sounds like you're asking good questions and you want answers. If you watch Relentless, if you watch Living, uh, Positively Living, WWE's has it on there. Uh, if you read that book, Positively Unstoppable, um, you'll see. Like you'll, you'll have so many, you'll have answers to questions you didn't know you had. Now that's up to you, brother. And I hope I answered your questions. And uh, read the book because it'll blow your mind. I'll answer all your questions. And now you got no questions. You got no excuses. If you've been thinking about doing DDP yoga, I just gave it to you. You got it, brother. Have an awesome day. See ya. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself, the best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Hello, Kobe. What's up, man? How are you? Or Seth, whatever you go by during your off time. Uh, well, whatever you feel comfortable with, my friend. What's it like responding to two completely different names? Because, again, they're like not even similar. Uh, I mean, you know, I've gotten used to it over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, more people know me by Seth than Colby, so it's not really that big of a deal at this point, you know? Wow, uh, that's it. My, my real name's John, and I wouldn't even, like, think twice to look at someone if they called me that. And whatever you got to do, I mean, it just, does anybody call you, John? Sometimes my mother, if she's mad at me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, see, but I have millions of people who call me Seth, so it's, it's I've gotten quite used to it. It, it takes some time, but uh, you get used to it after a while. Wow, and you've had a few different names, right? I, I was reading up on some of your past names. Obviously, Tyler Black was the famous one on the indie scene, but you wrestled by the name Sam Robbins. There was Geeks or Jicks, I, I read somewhere. Yeah, true and false. So I wrestled okay. under the name Geeks, but, but that was before... I actually made my professional debut. My professional debut was in 2005 um, after I had been trained. I had wrestled previously probably, um, I would say, maybe a year before that in a ring uh, and then four, four years before that in my backyard. But um, my kind of debut in-ring name was Gix, who was a Magic the Gathering character. I never played Magic the Gathering, but my brother, who's three years older than me, was way into it, gave me the name or thought it was a cool name, and I was like, all right, if you think it's cool, I must be cool. So I used that for a, a little bit, maybe maybe a year here and there and some, some shows. Wow, and if anybody wanted to use that gimmick, it's probably still out there, man. What about uh, Sam Robbins? That's pretty darn close to what you got now. I think that I think Sam, I never wrestled with Sam Robbins. I I think that's just a rib. 
I think somebody somebody may have mispronounced Seth Rollins at some point, but I never, I never, I know, I don't know where Sam Robbins comes from. See, that makes more sense. I mean, so many different names like that, so many different gimmicks as well. Weren't you, you know, growing up in Iowa in Davenport and Buffalo? You and your friends consider yourself straight edge, and you guys live by that mentality. Was that, you know, CM Punk inspired? Uh, honestly, it was just to be different than everybody else because you get to high school and everybody's discovering alcohol for the first time if they haven't already, and it's all about going to parties on the weekend and drinking and telling your stories about how uh, hammered you got over the weekend and the dumb stuff you got up to. And me and my friends just thought that that was the dumbest shit on the planet and mostly so just mostly to be you know counterculture as anti as possible and so we were totally against it we we, and it it just gave us like it really gave us a sense of entitlement uh it really gave us it truly gave us a feeling of like oh we're better than you because we don't we don't need that crap to have a good time so um that's kind of where it came from you know we had some relatives as well um, you know, who had, who had gotten into it and, you know, it, it turns out bad if, if you're, if you're an addict. And so that was also some motivation. We just, we didn't want any part of that. So, um, twofold, but yeah, yeah. Straight as it gets, man. That's actually really cool, man. There, there must've been a, you know, a spot, you know, like you talk about like the grunge era back in Seattle in the nineties, like there must've been a spot for you guys, like straight edge society, you know, certain metal bands that you listen to, because I know you're, you were a big metal guy growing up too. There was a spot in Iowa City, which is a college town, University of Iowa, called Gabe's Oasis, and they would have all sorts of sweet shows in there. I got my face kicked in more than once um, trying to dance around in the pits there. So, yeah, it, it was uh, that was part of it. And once we, like, my friends and I were very insulated. Like I said, we were, I was a bit of an introvert, so we were insulated because there was, you know, a group of four or five of us that didn't drink, but outside of that, we didn't know anybody. So kind of when we discovered the hardcore scene and realized that there were other people out there that were straight edge and didn't drink and didn't do drugs like it was cool it was refreshing it was like oh this is this is my tribe these are my people you know well that's good well i got one quick question for you i know we don't have a lot of time probably a basic question you've heard over and over again but i kind of wanted to get your take on you know your experience you know getting that call to cash in money in the bank six years ago at wrestlemania having to fly to new york for the morning show having to fly back for all, all in like a 24 hour period, probably less than 24 hours. Yeah. I just, it was, uh, it was very surreal. I think now when I look back and I talk about it, it seems almost as if it happened to somebody else. Uh, and I remember it in, um, in the video images that exist, you know, like yeah. it's hard for me to really wrap my own memories in, into what I see as it, you know, me running the back view of me running down the ramp or like me cashing it in. I always see it uh, almost an out of body experience. Um, the, the plane ride and the Today Show stuff was just a whirlwind, dude. I just remember trying to sleep. Um, I probably, I have some good stories about that one that I don't know that I can share. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a doozy, man. It was a good question, but a really cool experience. So. And that must have been a very special moment, too, sharing that with Joe, who everybody knows now is Roman Reigns, head of the table, you know, tribal chief. Uh, but you guys, again, 10 years, almost next year's 10 years, when you guys debuted at Survivor Series, Rollins, Reigns, and Ambrose uh, attacking Cena and Ryback to help CM Punk win the title. Uh, what was it like, you know, going through those stages, you know, being called by Vince saying you three are going to 
ambush the main event of Survivor Series? Because I know originally you guys were wearing turtlenecks. At one point, there was an idea for you guys to have actual shields uh, when you guys were marching to the ring. I don't think anybody would have liked that. Yeah, we were in turtlenecks, and riot, we had riot shields as a, as a, and, and clubs as well that they had made for us because we were supposed to be some sort of security, riot security group or whatever. Um, and we immediately realized that the shield, they were huge, they're full-body riot shields. You ever seen a riot, you know, massive? We, we very much realized pretty quickly that there was no way we were going to be able to jump the railing, run through the crowd, jump the railing, and get into the ring with those. They were going to be very cumbersome. Yeah. The shields went by the wayside quickly. And the batons, we had, you know, like, kind of, you know, riot batons that we were going to use as weapons. But um, Vince McMahon, our boss, actually saw us with the, the batons as we were rehearsing our debut and was like, <laughs> you need batons to beat somebody up? What kind of men are you? And we were like, goodbye, <laughs> see you batons. And so those live somewhere in a warehouse in Stanford, Connecticut now. Uh, and we never used them and quickly switched out of the turtlenecks after the debut. Would you ever like to go back to being, you know, a tag team partner or a part of a trio or a faction like that? Because I, I remember uh, Merrick Grave, obviously, he runs your, your camp and, and your gym now. But you guys were partners back on the indie scene before he got hurt. Would you have, you know, been a singles guy uh, later on, or did that, um, you know, freak injury for him kind of shape, you know, your idea to become a singles competitor? Yeah, so um, Tyler Black was my name at the time. Merrick Brave was my partner. Um, we now have a wrestling school together, the Black and the Brave Wrestling Academy. Uh, the Black and the Brave was our tag team name. Uh, we broke into the business together. Uh, he suffered an injury in, I want to say it would have been 2008, maybe. Um, that was pretty debilitating for him, and he ended up getting out of the business. He made a short comeback, and now he runs my wrestling school uh, as the head coach and partner. He ended up having to have spinal surgery not, a few years ago now to kind of repair some of the injuries that he got during that time. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that, that's accurate. Hey, man, everything happens for a reason. I mean, you know, to go through something like that, I, I know – uh, kind of on a related subject with your current finishing move now, the curb stomp, it was taken away for a while because obviously it was the, the defining moment at WrestleMania 31 when you won the title from Reigns and Lesnar. But at the same time, it was taken away. Wasn't it taken away like the next night? Why was it taken away specifically? I know it's a dangerous move and you don't want kids doing it. But was that a Vince McMahon call? Did he kind of think that it was kind of a cruel thing for the top champion to have? Yeah, I, I, I was going to do the Today Show uh, then the following morning after I had won the title uh, with that move, and obviously they're replaying me winning the title, and whether he saw it or somebody else saw it or there was a conversation that involved him, and he decided we'll do something different. Uh, I'd been using sure. it for a few years up to that point and won the title with it, but we went in a different direction the following, uh, following night. Now, what did you do in that moment? I'm curious, because obviously story has it you switched to the pedigree, you know, at the time you were part of the authority with Triple H, you know, using the pedigree was, you know, a great storyline move. But did you have backups in place? Was there a quote-unquote no, plan? No, my B mind plan? went to WTF. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I'm like, no one 
it, you're out of your mind. I'm like, come on, man. Uh, uh, you know, his big concern was that uh, kids can do it to each other. And I'm like, it's pro wrestling. It's every pro wrestling move ever invented. I'm like, well, c- come on, man. This this argument is flat. But mm. at the end of the day, he's the boss. He signs the checks. It's, it's his deal. So, you know, you figure it out. I didn't have much uh, in the back of my head, but I was a bit of a high flyer. I know I still do some high flying stuff now. So they were kept, kept trying to get me to do like high flying stuff for a finish. And I'm like, no, I'm like, what top guy ever had a move off the top rope? You know, you got to have a move you can do to anybody at any time in a bunch of different ways, a full setup for it. I mean, like Eddie Guerrero and Rob Van Dam might be the only two that pop into my head with the frog splash. And while I do have a nice frog splash, I also don't want to do a frog splash every night. So uh, I had to, you know, try to come up with some different stuff. Unfortunately, I was under the tutelage of Triple H at the time. Uh, and so it only made sense. He, he was the only one in the company who'd ever used the pedigree. And so being a, a bad guy, being a heel and under, you know, being his apprentice, it, it seemed like a very, very much a, a good, a good moment and a good thing to use and try to move it forward, you know? Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself, the best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.